The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, maybe I'll just begin, and we'll see who else joins us today. Excuse me. I need some water. First of all, welcome. Welcome to everyone. Welcome to all of you who have been with us for the last three weeks. And welcome to newcomers. So we've been studying these worldly winds, inquiring, inquiring into them. It's been a, an inquiry, um, an inquiry I've been thinking into the second noble truth, the causes, inquiring into the causes of our suffering. The first noble truth is we suffer, we feel it, we know it, it's understood. What are the causes? What are, what's the, the, the disease? And we examine, we investigate the causes for the disease. Somehow my mind um, picked up on the idea of neurosis. That these eight worldly winds are a description of our neurosis. <laughs> A very uh, Western, modern-day term. So I looked up the definition of neurosis, and it was something like anxiety and obsession and depression. Those, those three elements. Anxiety, obsession, and depression. Hope and fear. So, um, yeah, we, we hope for a good result and we fear a bad result. And so hopefully we've seen clearly how we're hoping for one of these wins, like one of them we'll notice some contact with something happening with us that's stressful. Hopefully that's, that's, the, that's the point of all of this is investigation. So some contact, like maybe some contraction around the heart or some picture in the mind will pop up. And from our inquiry, we'll notice, oh, we'll connect to that wind. And we'll know that I've explored this wind. I've explored wanting that face to praise me, wanting that group to accept me, wanting that gain, wanting that, fearing that loss, and so forth. We've inquired when it pops up. 
I've inquired into that and I've seen how useless this pursuit is. I've seen the deception of this pursuit. I've seen that none of these objects of this pursuit into the worldly gratifications ever creates a satisfied self. It's a fruitless endeavor. So, by by knowing, understanding the fruitlessness, the hopelessness of pursuing that direction of worldly, some worldly self that will finally satisfy me. Knowing so well that impermanence just wipes everything out. We can become a little exhausted with this pursuit. We can become weary of this pursuit. And we can tune into that weariness. We can tune into that disillusionment, that disenchantment. And know that. Understand that. This thirst, it's like drinking salt water. It's never abated. It's never satisfied. And we are weary. And we, we feel this pursuit, it is, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't work. And there can be some cessation. But what does work? What does provide satisfaction? What does provide happiness? What does provide calm, peace, ease, well-being? What do we, when we relinquish, this is the third noble truth, when we relinquish, when we release, what do we release, relinquish into? Awareness is always with us, 24 hours a day. We, it's said in scripture, we, we lean, we turn toward the deathless. We turn toward the unborn. It's like If you could look at my hand for a moment, it's like the hand. Instead of going this way, it's going this way. So this is the vital point of our practice. The essence of meditation is awareness. The essence of our practice is awareness. This is the point of the third noble truth. And it's really the, the heart of the Eightfold Path. So I'd like to examine this quality of awareness, the different qualities of awareness to familiarize. Of course, you're familiar with awareness. That's what we've been, what we, that's our practice, but, but familiarize even more with different qualities of awareness. 
familiarize with the qualities of our worldly concerns and now familiarize ourselves with the qualities of what we return to. I love this, the sense of this myth, this ancient myth that there was, or there's this original ground of being. And out of the ground of being arose energy. And energy created this magnificent display of awareness. Awareness created this magnificent display. But awareness began to conceive of it as outside of itself, its display. And that's where the problem, all of the problems begin with this duality, with this ignorance that it's not all one awareness. It's all one manifest, glorious manifestation of awareness. So let's explore this. Um, if you could uh, assume a meditative posture. And lightly close your eyes if that's the way you like to meditate. And most importantly, be comfortable. And if it is nice for you, take a couple of deep calming breaths and relax. Allow your heart and your mind and your body to become totally easeful and open. And bring your awareness, drop it into the body. Allow the shoulders to relax. Be aware of the arms, the hands. Soften the front of the torso and the back of the torso. Opening the hips. the legs, and awareness of the feet, and pervade the entire body, opening and allowing this presence, this awareness. <clears throat> and 
and allowing this awareness to spread out into space. Awareness is very much like space. Space is wide open, includes everything. It has no boundaries. There's no edge. It's measureless. Just like awareness is open, has no boundaries. And give up all striving Just relax into this presence, aware presence, effortlessly. And in this effortlessness, there's a sense of kindness We're not struggling with ourselves in any way. And now turn toward the awareness, just like we're mindful of our hand or our arm. Now be mindful of the awareness itself. See if you can find where the awareness is located. And if you cannot find a location, just drop this investigation and just come back to effortless open awareness. The sun from the east shines on the western wall. When you remove the western wall, it shines on the earth. When you remove the earth, it shines on the water. The ancients felt that water was everywhere. When you remove the water, it shines on nothing. This awareness is empty. Don't have to think about this too much or contemplate it or invest it, just experience it. 
this is the foundation, this emptiness for equanimity. For wisdom. Rest in this empty open awareness, which is always with us, the backdrop of emptiness is always here. And now notice just the natural clarity of emptiness, of empty awareness, the knowing quality. Whatever awareness touches on, it knows. Awareness itself has no shape, has no color, has no form. when it's aware of something, it's clear, it knows it. This is nothing so special. It's just, we know this very well, but paying attention to this simple knowing quality, this simple natural clarity. That arises from emptiness. is luminous. We always have this luminosity. And we have this radiance. Awareness is radiant. Everything is included in it. There's a myth of about Indra's net with jewels that cover the universe. And all the jewels have their own 360 degree awareness. We are a jewel with 360 degree awareness. unobstructed, clear. Turning attention to sound. 
and knowing sound as a manifestation of awareness. Maybe briefly open your eyes. Normally we, we think of what we see as something other. But it's really a manifestation of awareness. It's created by awareness. Close your eyes. Turn to sensations in the body. When the empty clarity of awareness turns its attention to the body, to the sensations, we create. Awareness creates. There's no separation between the awareness and the sensations. Sensations arise like waves in the ocean. And they settle back into the ocean. Sounds arise, sights arise, thoughts. Simply manifestations of awareness. No good thoughts, bad thoughts, no preferred thoughts. All glorious manifestation emotions, maybe light emotions of pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings. or more powerful emotions, intense emotions, arise like the waves of an ocean and recede back into awareness. This awareness is what is reliable. what is stable. What is pleasurable in a transcendent way.
There's no experience. Often when we meditate, we want, we want to find some experience that's superior. There's no experience that's superior. Nothing obstructs this awareness. It's always with us. Open. There are so many dharmas. So many teachings. wonderful teachings and they all come back to this one simple vital point so now don't even try to meditate There's no Western wall. There's no earth. There's no water. Okay, thank you. You can open your eyes now whenever you're ready. So, thank you for your meditation and thank you for being here. So now we'd like to break up into small groups. And discuss. Um, so I'm just checking my, if I'm on schedule here. Anyhow, so let's just discuss um, what you've learned in this course what you've learned about praise and blame and all of the others. I guess it's specifically uh, about praise and blame. What, have you, what did you learn about praise and blame from, from last week? But since this is the last um, so session we'll that we're going to have together, Pardon me? We'll be looking at that later also, looking back over the whole course. 
So let's oh, look okay. at praise and blame this time. Okay, great. So we'll look at praise and blame. So please keep that in mind and, and, and uh, we'll have some time for discussion now. Okay, so please share. Okay, we want, to, we want to hear your 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 what what you shared about what you learned in this course about praise and blame. What, what's come up for you in this uh, in your little discussion just now and in and in, in the past month? Please, I I can't see the entire screen, but just unmute yourself um, when you feel like sharing and and. Uh, Love to hear what's going on inside you. Yeah. In our little group, uh, one of the persons uh, shared how uh, she noticed that there was a lot of self-praise and uh, so that, that and self-blame. Yeah, that's where most of it comes from. Where all of it comes from, actually. <laughs> so, uh, this is Swam. So, we had a good discussion in our group. One thing that I shared was around uh, uh, it's a blind, it was a, I discovered a blind spot in me that I. I was seeking some acknowledgement for validation for everything I say and do, uh, right? It's almost like a voice in me or a signal within me. Okay, say something. I did something good. Say something. I did something good <laughs> kind of stuff. But I started to become more aware of the signal. Mm, I work on both sides, which is when I listen to someone, uh, I internally acknowledge and benefit from it. I'm also cautious about praising others also at the same time. I'm not overthrowing, <laughs> I mean, o- o- using the frivolous terms just to praise for the sake of praise. I've noticed changes in me on both fronts. Uh, David, I shared our brief interaction, the example. Uh, there's a bit of inspiration or an insight I picked up just before the class started today. I kind of made a comment praising you that you have. I enjoyed your talk on that Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago. And it was beautiful that you acknowledged it by praising me, Ram, good to have you at this meeting. <laughs> right? That was, a, that was not just an insight, that's such a powerful uh, teaching moment. And I appreciate you doing that for me. <laughs> So I'm I'm glad you're seeing the contact, the contact with praise, and that's where we that, that's where disengagement can begin when we see the contact in the feeling or in the thought. Someone else. 
Would I be able to ask a question? Yeah. Um, in the Joseph Goldstein talk, he he gives a like a really good example of the knowing mind when he says he went on vacation and it was all pleasant and the mind knew that. And then he went back to very message he said and it was all unpleasant and the mind knew that and the nature the uh, and the knowing mind knew that and the nature of the knowing is the same knowing is i, I just wanted was wondering if you could expand a little bit sometimes i have maybe um confusion with awareness and knowing yeah yeah so um you're talking yeah in his talk um Well, he, he goes from knowing um, to the deathless. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so, so there's this knowing, but it's 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 still um, relative. There's still something relative about the knowing, and so. There's another step is just to let go of the knowing. So like at the end of the meditation today, I said, don't meditate. You know, so the, the sun, there's, there's nothing for the sun to shine on. Just that, just this. So, you know, that, that, that's the exploration there. That was the, the evolution. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like when he says that you don't even do it for the present moment. You go to the, not even the you don't even cling to the present you, yeah okay yeah just no effort no striving nothing no striving yes so i got a different um i had the exact same question about the exact same part of the joseph goldstein <laughs> um segment because i also struggle with awareness knowing knowing of the knowing and um But what I got from that was, what I thought I heard him say was that whether he was um, in the pleasurable situation or the unpleasurable situation, the brain was knowing, was working the same way. So I was thinking maybe it's the view we put on it that um, makes a difference in the knowing, but But I don't know if that's totally off base or not. <laughs> the view we put on it. Yeah, so he was pleasant in the um, Caribbean and unpleasant. In but, it's the same, the, but it's the same mind. But the mind is working the same way. It's, it's just the same. Yeah. It. It's the same mind, yes. So, you know, we can be feeling agitation. And we notice that we're feeling of it. We, we are aware of that. And we can be feeling open and compassionate and kind. And we can be aware of that. But it's in a way, it's all the same. It's just, these are just other, these are just manifestations of awareness. Thank you. Is that okay? 
that starts making it more clear to me. Thank you. Yes. Everything is a manifestation of awareness. And in a way we can, we can't do anything wrong. You know, it's, it's uh, just abiding in awareness is, is. uh... May I say something? Please. Is this the time? (laughs) Or is it? I think of knowing as knowing uh, about something using the intellect, the mind, and the body, whereas awareness is more like in the unknowing, where it falls into intuition, the deathless, the eternal, always there, the unborn the falling away of the intellect, that you just, no self is there, it just, the the empty being of just this, no wall. Mm-hmm. Is, is that correct? Or is that just one moment of idea? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, that's great. That's wonderful. Yes. Um, I think the important point is is that this is our refuge. Um, awareness is our is our right. refuge, and to and to to familiarize ourselves with the 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 democratic. Um, perspective of awareness that everything is included in everything and there's an okayness right. about there's a there's yeah. a, a, a an okayness a Perfect. welcomeness toward yeah. everything and if we get to a point of stillness that's that's nice but it's like a wave in the ocean you know it'll it'll change so anything that we might lose, which could be that state of stillness, isn't a good refuge. Um, so any any state of mind that can change, like a state of mind that we achieve in awareness, in, I mean, in, in meditation, that's a great state of mind, a brilliant state of mind. But if it, you know, if, it if that can change, which it does, it's not a refuge, but awareness includes that. It includes stillness, and nothingness, and sound and sight, and agitation and peace. Everything, and that's our calm refuge. The empty. The empty, radiant clarity of awareness. How are we doing on time, Chris? Well, we should probably move on. Okay. It's time to. All right. Well, thank you for your, thank you for your insights, and I, I really encourage you to keep exploring this awareness um, as the vital point. 
as a um, when we as a as a place to to go with our as we disengage from the worldly concerns. This is our refuge. This is where we can go, and we can do it all day long. It's always just like Gil says, practices just one step away. It's always here. Okay. So thank you all. All right. So start out with checking to see if people can hear me. And Chris, let me know. Can everyone hear me? Yeah, yes. you're a little bit broken up and you're visually frozen. So I do wonder if it might be better to turn your video off and just speak, give all the power to speaking for the next few minutes. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do that. So can people hear me now? Is that yes. more, is that clear? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. So... We're going to use this awareness and bring to oh, breaking up. You're going away. Huh. Great. Can't, Actually, hear Can't hear you. You're real broken up. I'm in the middle into another okay try another room <laughs> okay is this any better yes okay can people hear me now uh-oh. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Okay. And, go ahead and try it. Try your talk. I, I think it'll... All right. Well, if it gets too frustrating, let me know. So... The topic for today is this high status and low status. And it has been translated as fame and ill repute. But in order to have us be able to connect to high status and low status. So are you all with me right now? Yeah. Okay. Friends, what, one of the different, at least in the way I view we were just talking about a situation with a high status are also translated as good This is larger society and their perception of 
us. And it also can be other groups and their perception of us. So I want to ask you all to take just a moment and think about right now, just a good reputation, bad reputation, high status, low status, to think of one fact about yourself. Well, I wonder if we should I wonder if we should do something else. I mean, I can talk about this a little bit or we can have kind of a group discussion on the subject. Let's see what what's happening here. Why don't we see if it works out for uh, Jen to call in? Yeah, that would be great. Suggesting. Yeah, that's what she's saying she's going to do on the chat. She's going to call in on her phone. Technology. Hmm. In the meantime, I was just reflecting on um, the utility of high status and low status versus fame and ill repute. It seems much more inclusive uh, when I'm thinking about myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm grateful for that reframing. Yeah, and she also mentioned there's good reputation and bad reputation, which we we find we have at work and among our friends and so forth, and, you know, different ways of thinking about it. Let's see. She's coming back on the phone here. She had sent me the, her, some notes for her talk, which I was trying to find in case I need to share some of her thoughts, but I can't find it now. Hmm. <laughs> well, we're not going to get famous this way, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Jen, are you there? Well, let's just talk about it. What do you all, what do you all think about how do you suffer from, I mean, fame's kind of a big thing these days. A lot of, a lot of suffering's going on from, you know, number of likes you get on your posts and all kinds of things. What is that about? How is this a, how is this a form of suffering that has, seems to be taking over the world somehow? What's, what's with that? Well, I, this is Craig. I, I can say I definitely suffer from that and grapple with that. Not so much on social media, but certainly professionally and 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 uh, personally, the pursuit of of fame or 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 at least good repute and yeah. and people wanting people to like me and respect me. That can be very at, at times. It can be very single minded and, and and really focus one's attention. One can get so focused on that that one loses a wider view. Yeah. So I suffer by not being able to have spaciousness and and the room to see what the most beneficial action is because I'm focused on one singular 
outcome instead of being open to other more subtle and beneficial outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and especially in the professional sphere where, you know, I'd struggle at times I struggle to see how not trying to advance my reputation uh, could help me stay employed uh-huh. for my family. It just seems to be part and parcel. Well, of course you should always be promoting yourself. Of course you should be competitive. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's a lot of discomfort around that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that whole idea of being competitive and promoting yourself, right? That definitely fits under this. Uh, I notice at home, uh, like, you know, I'm like the less popular parent and I'm even not popular with the dog. So <laughs> sometimes um, then I would be like, oh, I don't care about this worldly world. I'm a spiritual seeker. So I'll take that road and I'll be like, let let me not be successful in the world. <laughs> I have a slightly different experience on that. Uh, Hi there. Can people hear me? Oh. Hi, are you back? We've just been having Hello. a discussion about it in your absence, but there you are. Yes, we can hear you. Okay. Uh, wonderful. Well, I'll you can hear me. Okay. I don't think I'm on video, but, but you, you can, can all hear me. You can take over. Yeah. Yes, we can hear you. Okay, well, <laughs> okay, well, at least you can hear me. Um, yeah, I. So, so I I did hear great in the sense of you know I want to want to acknowledge that this pair um, is maybe a little bit more intense than than the. Um, praise and blame because other groups have of us or society has of us and uh, it can be uh, quite powerful Uh, it can there can be suffering there can be equanimity Um, and the talk is really about you know my hope is that people can really feel into and it sounds like you all started to discuss this of how this really impacts your own life right so I can start out by saying I think um, a couple of people that we are both that we are all familiar with that really had a, a very I would say wise way of working with um, high and low status is uh, starting out with the Buddha. Uh, the Buddha was certainly famous in his own way. He certainly had a high status and good reputation in his own way. Um, certainly perceived by many people as why. And compassionate. Um and he also had people from all over time. And the Buddha, my sense is that there was, um, but he was certainly focused on teaching and offering the Dharma, right? So I, I really appreciate thinking about him in that way of how he held 
being famous uh, with equanimity. I would say the same for the Dalai Lama. This is his fame and high status. To help educate and promote. Um, and certainly both of these individuals had support from followers. Both of these people think um, but my sense is again that these individuals hold it hold us of of human nature and good reputation, bad reputation go. How do we get hooked by this high status and low status? And since I think time is a bit limited, um, I think I'm going to just focus in on the one specific Buddhist teaching or teaching that is Can we just lost it you. on the world? Uh, Losing your hair. Okay. It, all right. I just don't think this is working today, Jennifer. I'm sorry. It's just so broken up. Maybe I'll tell you what, you know, you had good notes for this and we'll write up the summary that okay. we always write up. So maybe you can put have your talk be more of a written offering this time. Does that make sense? I think we just can't hear you. Okay. It's a little too frustrating. That's, so that's that's good. Okay. All right. So we'll we'll get okay. okay thoughts on this in the in the write-up that we mail out in a day or two is that okay jen <laughs> this is pretty frustrating as soon as you get to a point it cuts out and then we don't hear the second half of the sentence um you know i think i think some of you were starting to uh very much close in on the point here about what do we lose track of when we focus on? But it's big because it's our role in society. You know, I thought of this story from my life where I was doing walking meditation at IMS one time in the walking hall. And, you know, it's just random, about 20 people walking back and forth. And somehow in the randomness, when I got to one side and turned around, everybody was on the other side. And it just, my whole body just seized up, you know, I like, oh my God, how I'm an outcast. I'm in exile. I mean, those thoughts weren't, weren't really happening, but that was the gist of what my body felt is that I was somehow, you know, outside society. So it's something very deep in us, this, this need to belong and feel like we're accepted and you know protected by our group and our clan and our tribe and all that it's it's deep so um i just 
I just don't want to minimize how, I mean, maybe why this does last is it's kind of existential in a way. I think it really gets into our, our fear of what is our relationship to society on the whole and the need to feel, you know, completely, it's this conflict between syncing up with the mass mind of those around us, you know, and there's a positive side of feeling warmth and connected and familiar and belonging. And then there's all the negative sides of simply abandoning our own sense of integrity and what's right and the potential for freedom and, and our broader awareness, as Craig was saying, of what's right in a situation in order to go along and fit in with society and, and, you know, fame is an extreme expression of also power and status and the ability to command resources by, you know, getting everybody to serve you and do what you want. So it can be, it's a powerful force to look at. Um, one of my favorite stories is coming to mind. I'm going to shut up in a minute and we'll go into a breakout. But the the story, the Buddha saying that if he can't find, he likes companionship, that he would appreciate having a, a spiritual companionship. But if he can't find it, that he will walk alone. That if he can't find someone who really shares his values and his in, his sense of integrity and freedom and the way to live, that he will walk alone. He, he actually said he would go out and keep company with some Tusker elephant, you know, he and this other lone elephant would go walking together and that would be his companion. So it's that sense of courage of really having integrated your own whole point of view and everything you know about what's good and keeping your eyes wide open and your best, your best point of view about what, what is a good life? How should we be? And that's not always popular. You know, there are times in history and we may to some extent be in one where, you know, agreeing with everybody is just not going to be the best way to be. So it takes a lot of courage to uh, to really work with this factor. So those are just a few of my off-the-cuff thoughts on the subject. I'd like to have a short breakout again, and hopefully you can share with each other a few thoughts, get some thoughts going, and then we'll come back and, and share some more in the group. So we'll have a kind of group Dharma talk on this subject, and we'll get Jen's thoughts in a couple of days, okay? So let's see if we can break out. make a breakout. Is that okay, IDT? Or, you know, we're a small enough group. Maybe we should just stay here and continue that big, dis- big group discussion that we started earlier. That was pretty nice. We'll have another breakout in the second half. Not quite able to set that up anyway. So some somebody was going to offer something when we tried again to have the talk. Who was? It was me. Yeah. Yeah. So I had uh, I've been able to reflect on this uh, quite a bit. I used to have a high flying life in my profession. I had all kinds of titles, CEO to <laughs> every fancy thing, and uh, every time something didn't happen, this is going back four or five years ago. 
Uh, I used to get disappointed. I used to get frustrated. I send an email out. How come they didn't respond? They don't like me. <laughs> the thoughts used to go 90 miles per hour. So I kind of decided to refocus my life and I retired early last two plus years. Um, I completely committed to the path and that's what I'm maximizing my time on. So lately, uh, I've been working on some nonprofits and particularly one area I'm committed to is uh, uh, we live in Bay Area. We think we are a high tech city. There are thousands and thousands of kids who don't have an access to the computer, right? So I belong to a nonprofit where I'm trying to go door to door and try to get some good thing going for these kids. And it's being uh, very gratifying in many ways. What I realized at the same time is I have to turn off my shame completely in asking for help, right? And I noticed very clearly in my mind, uh, it's a, it's almost in my mind. It's like how going for alms from home to home or uh, email to email and I'm absolutely willing to take no for an answer. Even when they say no, I have to pass on my goodwill and appreciation to them for giving me an opportunity to ask, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So all, while this was going on, I can deliberately see the, I, I used to have a barrier of shame, that barrier dramatically coming down <laughs> because I'm more committed to the cause than less about how I feel, <laughs> mm-hmm. That transition was uh, very noticeable, uh, particularly in the last few weeks to a month. I'm very happy about that. But I noticed without being in this particular course, it made me more cognizant of realizing, ah, this is what shame used to feel like. (laughs) I'm plenty happy getting rid of it. But if I can help another kid with a better computer or whatever, it's more satisfying than anything else. So I kind of brought out the a new way of looking at shame uh, in terms of uh, uh, not just noticing it, but things I could do to dial it down. Mm-hmm. Who's speaking here? Kate? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, thanks, Ram. That actually was helpful to me because fundraising is um, not a comfortable thing and I liked your line about well thank you for the opportunity of letting me you know pitch you essentially uh, of letting you ask um but I wanted to go back to what Chris was saying about um the Buddha and the walking alone and I just want to be around like-minded and and wanted to be around like-minded people um I'm concerned about that from a societal perspective um everybody could benefit from extending their horizons and understanding how others feel. Um I liked the line from um the poem If if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, as in yeah. trust yourself but try to understand and see if there is something there. Um, a, a bit of truth um, in what they say about you or what they say about the world um, or, or if there's any, something beneficial to learning about it. So, yeah, I, I no, mean, you didn't mean to make a global statement. Oh, that's I mean, that's, that's, I, I'm not, you know, I quoted that off the top of my head and I'm sure what he had in mind is rather than hang around with 
you know, people, you know, we, we do kind of catch what's going on around us. So hanging around people who don't practice and who just party all the time and all that is, is, you know, if you can, if you have the strength and you think that's the best use of your time to try to bring some, some, bring something to that situation, then sure. But I'm pretty sure that's the kind of situation that, that teaching would apply to. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is sacrificing your own integrity in order to fit in. Right. Is really what it was referring to it. But right. If you, if you phrase it as we should only hang around with like-minded people, that's, that can be not so wise. Yeah. I, I think that there's um, another thing that's really important is allowing people to be who they are and to, to the, the opportunity then to not get pulled in and hooked into uh, some of these paramis because it doesn't mean that we, you know, hang out forever, but we live in a world where we have all these differences and the significance of allowing somebody else to be how they are creates harmony just in doing that. Yeah. 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 And it's also, I, I like the teaching on the understanding of, you know, there's maybe the truth of liberation and and morality and all that. And there's also skillful means of how to, what is actually help a person to feel more, what to get what they need and relax more and trust more and be able to turn toward higher values of some sort, you know, and that certainly involves letting people be how they are. It, you know, it, you can't, you don't change people by coming in and insisting that they change. And that's that's our gift, isn't it? Right. And right. it and it and it it does um, get rid of the high status, low status. You know. Yeah. We're right. walking together with a filter of differences. Right. And there's always, I mean, another way to put that in terms of thinking what Kate said and what the what the Buddha might have. Um, you know, the Buddha did teach all kinds of people and did meet all kinds of people. And over his lifetime, he developed more and more and more of these ways of teaching, you know, trying to reach more people. And certainly I see our contemporary teachers doing that, getting much wiser about how to talk to different people, how to meet people, how to bring in psychology and teachings that people need from different kinds of suffering. So, you know, getting to know people with the real intention that they should blossom to their fullest capacity in their own way takes a lot of open-mindedness and, you know, learning about how people are and where people are at and what really works. So, yeah. Because we are householders, we're not monastic. So that, that makes a real difference. It is a difference. Well, I've always kind of been surprised these two were on the list of worldly wins because I looked at them as being all about one's ego. And I thought I could, I could do with just six worldly wins myself, but you've made me see this from a whole new light, connecting it with our deeply ingrained evolutionary need to belong. Yeah. It's a deeply ingrained survival mechanism And um, I think maybe it was just the title, Fame and Ill Repute, that threw me off. And I 
I don't like high status, low status much better. Um, but I do, I do understand why this would be, um, be very, a, a very deeply ingrained knee jerk reaction to living life in a society. Um, I still kind of don't think it's crucial for me, at least. I don't really care what other people think about me. I don't care if they like me. I'm kind of used to feeling like or being an outlier. Um, but it helps me understand um, where other people are coming from, where this might bring great distress. Mm -hmm. And I, I can really have compassion now for why, why this would arise and, and not just blow it off as their ego. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Am I allowed to add another quick perspective? Well, let's have Conrad speak. Yeah, we'll just get a variety of voices here. Rom, you know, I, I really appreciate what you said about some shame associated. I'm going to say kind of good perception or bad perception is another maybe way of interpreting this uh, view. Because in my relationship, uh, my girlfriend's older than me, and she has some views on good perception. Like, I don't want to be dating someone younger than me who's like lost and just like airy fairy or whatever, right? Like, like a hippie, right? But, uh, like, what's your, what's your five-year plan? Like, how, how would I introduce you to my friends and like things like that? Like, and I, <laughs> with this fear-based view of perception, like, mm -hmm. oh, like, and it's her holding on to that, right? And then maybe some shame comes up in me, like, oh, well, maybe I need to be these things, this anxiety that's building up in her about, I, this relationship has to look a particular way from the outside, yeah. right? And then that drive could potentially drive up shame in me and I, I've gotten quite adept at not picking that up because I know it's just fear from other things going on in her universe. And I'm like, all right, well, we can definitely talk about that. But and being much more compassionate and loving and holding that, that uh, desire for like perceived managing perceptions and how much wasted energy that is. And uh, I kind of, I've kind of gone through it myself career wise, right? Uh, I have my own business and everyone likes to post their things to uh, social media to get fame and more followers, then you have a bigger market base and you capture people's attention and there's always this rush. But then you're managing your perception the whole time rather than just giving your gifts of like, this is what I've studied. This is my gift to share. And it's just this hectic rat race or rather than focus on what you do well and giving that out, um, you're spending more time managing perception and how good you are as a teacher rather than here are the teachings. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a challenge for a lot of artists, you know, you have a little success and then do you keep doing what, you know, do you keep churning out those songs or paintings or whatever that happen to sell or do you keep, you know, do you stay true to your vision, whatever that is. So it's, I, I can see why it's on the list and it's, it's, uh, may not seem challenging but also it's got to do with power i've really reflected on what's the whole thing with fame you know why are we i mean why are people interested in famous people what is it about fame you know it's 
I don't know. There's something about the power to command the resources that we need to live our lives that is hard to let go of. You know, it doesn't mean that you do always get, it comes back to comfort and continued existence and pleasant and unpleasant in a big way a lot of the time. What are you willing to let go of in order? What are you willing to sell out in order to have all those things? And what, what, what not? So, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's interesting too. We live in a society where one way of getting fame is to be of ill repute. So (laughs) the worst behavior in all the way up to, I mean, this inappropriate laughter, but like you, like serial killer or not like people who do multiple killing. I forget what it's called when you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mass mass murderers. Yes. Yes. Who do something like that for the fame. Yeah. When it's the worst thing. Yes. You know, so you're, you're willing to to get fame at this exaggerate horrible exaggeration. Yeah. Of it's and it's interesting. It's right. yeah. Yeah, it really isn't I mean we can bring this back inward to look at ourselves and what is it what are we losing touch with when we turn to what other people think? It's it's like we have a mirror we have in our minds an image of our image and what other people think of us. And that becomes the sole important thing. And even it can be negative because it would be better to be infamous than unknown and unrecognized and unseen, you know, and, and that, that lack of reality in yourself, that lack of a grounded connection with the reality of life is, you know, easily too easily these days let go of for and apparently always since it's been on this list for 2500 years but you know it's something that people will sacrifice their own deeper well-being for yeah susan uh there's also another thing too because uh there is an idea of your legacy and uh, and with that is this idea of immortality in a way, um, which is a little, I mean, that's a big thing for, I think, in the backs of people's mind. Yeah, that's right. That's another factor that plays into this is immortality, the, the clinging to immortality. That's one of those dualities that wasn't on this list, but kind of could underlie it that the Buddha talks about that people you know, are swinging back and forth between nihilism and eternalism and people are always looking for some way to to have immortality. And this is definitely one of them, right? Right. For your little person, you know, not, not for the values that you value, say, but for your, you yourself. Yeah. Aditi? I had a question. Um, so like, you know, um, you're talking about other people perceiving us, but it's more like our own. How do we uh, rest our ground so we don't like, you know, have like constant, like an idea of that ideal north that are we matching up against? That's right. That's right. That's right. And a lot of the famous people of the world provide these totally unrealistic ideals that then we judge ourselves. 
then we judge ourselves against, right? Thank you. Josie, you were? Um, I think I lost what I was going to say. But I think I would love to have fame in my daughter's eyes. <laughs> but I mostly get blame. You know? And how much can you be with blame um, is pretty... Um, uh, I was saying that in the breakout room, that uh, it is possible um, to um, be with blame um, with compassion. Uh, it's been a long haul uh, for me to be with her that way. Um, uh, and she's growing into someone who actually wants to, uh, she sees it and she wants to do something and I can only thank the, um, the practice for that. And when you said, um, uh, Chris about courage, uh, the first thing I'd asked, I asked Gil seven years ago was, you know, how am I supposed to do this alone? I'm in like in Boonie, Canada, there's nothing, you know, and, and it's possible. <laughs> it's actually, po well, thanks to this kind of, I mean, this is extraordinary for me to have this. Uh, and it's, 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 um, it, it happens. We develop a practice and, uh, and, um, yeah, what I have is gratitude. Yeah. You do have to do it yourself ultimately. I mean, we can get support from this kind of thing, but it's those moments of really looking at yourself and feeling in your own body and noticing what am I doing to myself here that, yeah. that transformation can happen. Yeah. Absolutely. And I hear people talking about the world. I'm not even concerned with the world. You know, I wake up with a 15 year old, you know, yeah. <laughs> swearing at me, any kind of breakfast I put on the table, there is no satisfaction to be had, you know, so it's, you know, and she had, she does eat and she goes to school and she, you know, and, and we move along, you know? Yeah. I would to say something in response. So, I was in a, in a group and this was coming up, this kind of problems with children. And uh, one of the members of the group piped up. She says, you know, you just have to forget about all that stuff. You just have to love them. You know, you just have to, you know, that's our job, just to love them. And, you know, you mentioned compassion, really. Compassion and love, that perspective, just shifting that perspective, like, not to what is coming to me, but what I can give to them can, can just turn all of, all of the, these hopes and fears around. Particularly with a daughter, what can I do to help? And I just, yeah. And she's actually, this is the last thing I want to say, but she's actually, uh, she, we met uh, a couple of ladies from the uh, MSC, uh, Center for Mindful Self-Compassion because mm -hmm. uh, they do that with teens and she's actually met with them and she wants to do the eight-week thing. Oh, and, and that for me, if it's not a perspiration of the path and the dharma and the practice, I would have never had the capacity to even, you know, consider this with her. So for me, if I get to be famous with that, I'm not that you'll admit it, but... You know. <laughs> Go for locally famous in the in the dining room. <laughs> Getting along with your family. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so let's take a break. We'll come back in uh, ten minutes or so. <clears throat> right. Well, yeah, a little less than ten minutes.
eight minutes. Split the difference. Okay. Okay, I think we'll resume here. So um, I wanted to talk some about this quality of equanimity. We started this series uh, as a follow-on to our class with the paramis last year, which wound up with the parami of equanimity. So we spent about four months looking at some of the perceptions and arisings in the world that typically throw us off of equanimity. And it's, you know, this is an interesting quality. I think all of you have been practicing enough that you're pretty much with equanimity as a good thing. But it's a little hard to describe to people who aren't aren't in this practice. What Who wants equanimity? Don't we want passion and you know, people think it's opposed to the things that they want. But uh, it's a very, very sublime quality. And it's the final item on many of the lists that the Buddha used to teach us. It's in the Brahma Viharas, it's in the Paramis, it's the last of the seven factors of awakening. So it's really something that our whole practice is leading to and cultivating. And it's certainly not an all or nothing quality. It's something that grows as with our practice, that, that deepens, grows, and becomes more natural and less something that we're trying to, to happen, have happen. Um, I remember one of my teachers pointing out that there's a big difference between fake equanimity and real equanimity. But sometimes understanding the value of equanimity and aiming toward it might involve a little bit of... Uh, intentional steadying of yourself but it's really beautiful when the temptation to be swept away by these winds just doesn't arise because they're so deeply clear that it goes to not a good place so it's it's really a the fact that it's on all three of these lists i think you could understand it as pointing to a quality of heart a quality of body a quality of mind especially a quality of when all those are in harmony and open to each other and functioning as a whole. So as a Brahma Vihara, it's the, it has to pervade all the rest of them to really bring the heart qualities to fruition, right? Metta without equanimity has a lot of just demanding that people be okay or really needing people to be okay for our own well-being or, you know, being thrown off if people are not okay. So equanimity is so necessary to be able to just have that open, well-wishing, as we were talking about with kids, you know, just love them, just wish them well. And you have to, to some extent, let go of the results. And compassion can so easily turn into uh, a depressing kind of quality or a dark quality or a suffering with quality. Instead of this, simply this ability to focus the mind on, on how can I help and wishing well and feeling like 
a sense of being able to be a companion to someone who's in suffering without necessarily needing to jump into the quicksand with them. So equanimity is this evenness of heart that keeps the heart in a good, wholesome place while meeting all kinds of circumstances in the world. And then as an energetic quality, sometimes it's translated as equipoise, equipoise. It's, I guess there's a different word in Pali that Gill's brought out. I can't, it's a big long word that I can't remember right now, but that's somehow translated as being in balance in the midst of everything. It's a kind of steadiness. It's the energetic balance. Some, you know how it feels. It comes up from the body, the emotional body. Something just rises up when you want to grab one of these winds or get away from something. And it's just a kind of steadiness where that really doesn't happen. It's a balance. It's related, I think, to the paramis, perfecting the paramis of energy, patience, especially patience comes into it and resolve a sort of an ability to stand, stand in the middle of stand in the middle and not be blown around. And it's really maybe it's the development I think of the seven factors of awakening as being especially the description of the meditative journey that we can develop through our meditative practice, which leads from mindfulness, begins with mindfulness, then the ability to discern different states and what's wholesome and what isn't, the energy, the effort to apply yourself to staying present and not falling into the unwholesome the joy that arises from the from the steady application of awareness, as David was talking about, that leads very naturally to joy, and the joy settles into tranquility, and the tranquility further penetrates and turns into samadhi, and out of that is born this real equanimity that's not, not a bit of fake equanimity, but simply so settled that nothing is going to rattle you, nothing is going to get you involved in wanting and craving and struggling and pushing away and resisting just the ability to stay, to allow feelings to enter, to be fully felt and to pass away. I like that teaching on the, that compares equanimity to the great elements like the earth that can, doesn't care what's dropped on it, whether it's, you know, piss and blood and shit and everything that falls on the earth or flower petals or beautiful things. The earth is the earth and it isn't, it doesn't mind what it comes in contact with. Also water, you can put anything in water. Water doesn't mind what it comes in contact with. The air, the air doesn't mind what it comes in contact with. Fire, fire burns everything, regardless of what it is. So that kind of elemental nature of belonging to all the elements and being those elements and having the property of those elements of really not, not being affected by what it comes in contact with. Um, this So this steadiness... I probably shared this before because I like it so much, but I came across a little quote from the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius. I guess he was a sort of stoic philosopher, which has a little bit in common with the Dharma. But he said, live every day as if it were your last without frenzy, without apathy, and without pretense. 
somehow those three words just really resonate with me as ways that I can check in with myself. Am I getting kind of frenzied here or am I giving up and collapsing or am I pretending in some way slightly off in my mental constructs about what's going on and kind of imagining what people might say and think. So imagine a moment without any of that. That's a, that's a moment of real reality and equanimity. And then of course the root meaning of the word upeka, which is the stand, the most often word, most often translated as equanimity is looking on. It's that it's the awareness that David was leading us to appreciate so beautifully in the beginning, the ability to recognize what's happening. And in that ability to recognize there's a disentangling with the mind's interpretation of the implications. Oh, this means what about me for the future? This means this or that. It's just a disentangling from that and a simple allowing of things to be as they are, as some of you brought up. Letting people be the way they are. Letting things be the way they are. Things are the way they are. The only not letting is your own entangling, struggling with it. So, you know, and as Craig said, leaving the room for maybe some wise action will arise. You know, something, if there's a little opportunity for some wise speech or wise action, equanimity is not rattled. When that's recognized and acted on, there's nothing not that that shakes equanimity in in performing the wise action and the wise speech. But when things are driven by forces that are not coming from that deep settledness, then who knows what the consequences are of our various attempts at, at speaking and acting. So back to that idea that it's also not apathetic. It's not, of course, it's not a cold detachment is free to take the appropriate action. Why don't we act appropriately all the time? Often we're afraid or we're not going to, or we're busy doing something else or we don't see clearly or we, so we're afraid that we're going to have to sacrifice something that's too important to us. So with equanimity, it's the freedom, it's the courage and the freedom to do what's the right thing in that moment. There's a, story I'm sure you're familiar with that is kind of the image of equanimity for me. The monk walking across the battlefield. There's a story of uh, the Indian emperor Ashoka seeing after this terrible battle where everyone was killed and he's looking over this plain of death and dead bodies and walking across the field is this monk in a state of equanimity, you know, just seeing seeing what is and walking steadily through it. And this somehow hit the Emperor Ashoka and he changed his ways and inaugurated a reign of one of the few kind of Buddhist-oriented governments in uh, the ancient world for quite a long time. So there's that image of being able to walk through this veil of suffering that people are experiencing without losing your own balance. Yeah, so this looking on is a is kind of the mental aspect, the awareness aspect of equanimity. So the mind that's able to 
calmly be aware, rest in awareness of what's happening. The heart that's settled and into a state of appropriate response, whether that's metta, compassion, empathetic joy with people who are happy, the heart is able to respond appropriately. The body, bodily energy is settled and stable and not so easily thrown off and rattled by whatever's happening. Ajahn Suchito says of this mental kind of equanimity that it's an intention or a mental muscle rather than a feeling. Maybe when we're working on it, it's kind of, it's an intention, it's a mental muscle that we're strengthening and then it matures into a state of mind, a state of, of complete being that is stable in this way. So over these months, we've been looking at the winds as examples of the type of perceptions that's all it all rests on pleasant and unpleasant and 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 neither and the human response to those things and how we tend to amplify that with our notions of gain and loss and praise and blame and status or fame however you want to look at this last one reputation so you must know in your own experience by now, how is it different to meet these winds with an, an orientation toward equanimity? I'm, none of us have perfect equanimity so far, but an orientation, a valuing of equanimity over a valuing of getting all excited and lost and involved and distracted and, and resistance and hating and not valuing those things, but valuing equanimity. So an opportunity for pleasure appears or some kind of gain is, looks to be on the horizon. So when we tune in, can we see that we're okay with it? We're okay without it? There's some deep knowledge that this will, you know, sure, that'd be nice, but it's not going to make or break our deep sense of well-being. Can we enjoy, if we get it, can we enjoy it? without feeling like, oh, now I'm set for life and then becoming complacent in our practice and losing, losing, you know, we've, somebody's just won an election. Somebody's not happy. Somebody's happy. There's going to be another one in a couple of years and another one in a couple of years after that. So there, you know, can we see that this is not something that we've gained that we're going to hold on to or not something that we've lost that we'll never be able to get anything we want ever again so some sense of balance that this is an event and we still need to practice we still need to we still need to cultivate staking our well-being on something more reliable than transient gains and losses so if we have an episode of pain or loss arises can we not what's the difference between meeting that with equanimity and meeting it with involvement. How many arrows are you shooting into it on top of the basic unpleasantness of it? All the thoughts that can pile into an episode of pain or a sense of loss. The beliefs that this is going to last forever, the belief that you have to have to fix it instead of maybe turn to it and allow it to unfold in its natural way. 
dwelling. If something is lost, we can dwell on what it would have been, should have been, could have been. How how am I going to live without this thing? Or we can be right here with the feeling of loss itself. The sadness that sadness arises. It's quite possible to have equanimity with the feeling of sadness and grief even. Allowing those feelings to be there with a part of the mind still resting in awareness and knowing that this is a natural human response to loss that's unfolding without putting too much of your belief juice into all the thoughts that come up around it. So we get approval or praise. How long does that last? What do we begin to sacrifice in order to get that again, that creeping addiction to those things was what we were doing was it wholesome great can we enjoy the wholesomeness of it can we stay on the path of doing the actions that happen to be praiseworthy in some people's minds as well as our own that's great or if we get blame or criticism or a bad reputation can we look within and see do i agree with this did i make a mistake of some kind if so resolving to learn from it and move on if not Refuge in your own integrity is the only way to peace of mind. So Gil had a lovely essay a few years back in Tricycle Magazine where he identified, it's a way of looking at the whole path, but it's aspects of the path that support and reflect a growing sense of equanimity. So integrity is the first factor. Integrity is what gives you the confidence to withstand praise and blame and fame and bad reputation that's not deserved, not to sell out for pleasure and gain. It helps you to center and ground yourself independent of worldly conditions. The second factor is faith. Recognizing the ring of truth in this direction to begin with. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have faith that this is pointing in the right direction. Maybe it's the imprint of people you admire. Some of you mentioned looking at the Dalai Lama, looking at the Buddha, looking at what is it about these people that is something I would like to work toward. And then that begins to mature into confidence as you see for yourself that you can do it. And it's true. So integrity and faith And the third factor is a well-developed mind, which really is our mindfulness practice, our practice of mindfulness and right effort, aware, aware, aware of what's happening, noticing the long-term tendencies towards suffering, away from suffering, really deeply seeing how we meet these wins. Everything that we've learned so far is strengthening our minds. The fourth item is well-being, which is really what we cultivate when when we are able to meditate to the point of finding some ease and some joy and some happiness, practicing the Brahma Viharas, finding within ourselves what well-being means that's not reliant on this passing show of ups and downs. And then wisdom, which really has, you know, perspective, the wisdom of conditions being what they are, 
the wisdom of not expecting the worldly to provide us with lasting happiness. Understanding that people's actions are conditioned, being able to see through that and continuing to offer metta and compassion to people. And also the wisdom of realizing that people are responsible for their own karma. So a lot of suffering comes from the unwise notion that we ought to be able to fix everybody or ought to be able to make everybody else do the right thing somehow. And just turning back to ourselves, learning for ourselves how change really works, how transformation really works, then we might have something that we can offer to other people. And then this deepens into insight, especially the insight into impermanence, really understanding the ungraspable nature, the unlasting nature of all these winds one way or the other. And finally, that matures into freedom, the release, real equanimity that's lasting. Appreciating little moments of that, we don't have to We don't have to not taste that all along. It's kind of the positive side. So appreciating what, how good it feels to not be blown around by these winds. Balance with seeing how much suffering comes from being blown around. So you can look back. Suchito invites us to look back on some episode of our life that we have enough distance and perspective on that we can see all the ups and downs, like maybe a business thing you were involved in some years ago or a project or junior high school or, you know, when your kids were two years old or something that's something that's that you can look back on with an even mind as you remember it, not getting all involved in it, but seeing how many ups and downs there were, how, how you were despairing and then elated and then, oh, this will... I'll never be able to do this. And then you either did it or you didn't. And life went on. It can be helpful to look back on some roller coaster ride from the past and realize that this is how it is now also. And there you will be able to find that perspective on it. So equanimity is what we're studying these winds to develop. It's a beautiful quality. And I would like us to take another breakout and um, think back on the last few months or whatever time frame works for you to some time when you really felt like you were experiencing some flavor of equanimity. When, what if, when, have you, when have you felt that, wow, I was really able to meet that and it was, and it was fine. And just reflecting on what that was like, it's so useful to bring that to mind and to be able to to appreciate what that was. You might think about what factors, maybe there were some factors involved in that that you could cultivate more of. Okay, so let me just set up a quick breakout here. Okay, people are coming back, so... I really enjoyed uh, the meditation, David, in the beginning. I think the visuals were really powerful for me. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed them. I can see why you have a big smile. I hope uh, you're having a good time today. 
Yeah. And now like this clinging, now how do I have that kind of, uh, you know, awareness all the time? <laughs> it's no big deal. <laughs> Don't make a big deal out of it. <laughs> big deal out of it. Just notice something. <laughs> there <Yeah. you> <laughs> Easy to say. That's all it is. Well, Jennifer has returned, so she had a Com- Comcast was having an issue. So <clears throat> I'm gonna, she's gonna wrap up today here. Yes, hello. It's so lovely to connect with you, <laughs> and um, would love to hear how your discussions were about this beautiful quality of equanimity. What was what came up for? for you in this topic. And you can just uh, unmute yourself and share what was going on, what insights. I think I said this in another breakout group recently. I don't know if it was with the 20 to 30s group, but I feel like the gift of equanimity that we develop um, helps others feel safe. And the thing that I've got to experience a lot this last year is when people feel safe and you're not reacting and you're just kind of sitting in this pool of equanimity, even though like, <laughs> I think Gil said this, like want to punch them sometimes. You're like, stop. But you're sitting there and they're having their thing. And then all that anxiety, whatever's driving the fear of their behavior, and you can reflect a little of what you're hearing. And then they're like, oh, I'm actually really feeling this. And then they feel heard and they have that gift. And then you kind of like spin the ball of goodness a little bit so that they feel heard and loved and seen. And I think that kind of in our group, that non-reactivity has been something that we can provide them for someone else. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Conrad. It reminds me of that kind of energetic field of equanimity and people feel it. And I know I feel it with others and vice versa. So uh, it's quite powerful. Not, and again, this is why I love this practice of we're not just doing the practice for ourselves, but it also benefits others. So thank you. In our group, uh, someone shared that with the practice of equanimity, they are able to go out surfing, not just when the water is perfect, but on any day, even when the water is bad. And um, and the other person shared that they are more equanimous when they are not rushing, when they are slowed down. Thank you, Diti. That's... <laughs> I love that analogy, just going surfing with whatever conditions, right? That is absolutely the spirit of the winds. Thank you.
Anyone else on whatever was talked about with regards to equanimity or anything else? One comment I shared, um, hi, I'm Ram, is how I overcame fear for many things uh, through the practice. Um, my uh, the example I used is my daughters are now 23 and 27. When my older daughter was in uh, college uh, five, six, uh, eight, nine years ago, and uh, they take Uber, kids being kids go to different places. And suddenly I come to know that she's taking an Uber at one o'clock at night <laughs> or something like that. And uh, I used to get concerned. Then uh, lately they're good kids. They do whatever they like to do. Uh, what my mental setup right now is uh, 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 I did my part raising them and they're using the right judgment to do the right thing <laughs> at this point. And I don't need to call and tell them to be careful and all the stuff. All that basically translates to is me superimposing my fear onto them, <laughs> right? So I kind of a lot more cooler, if not totally cool about any such situation. And I don't let them uh, affect me like the way it used to in the past. <laughs> mm, yes. Yes, thank you, Ram. That's definitely, I can hear the equanimity in that. And you know what else I hear, which is um, one of the articles I can send along that I recently found on Gills, but it's letting go, right? I love that. There's a part of letting go and being equanimous, like you did all you could do. And now, you know, you let them go into the world and, and there's trust. And so that's, that is definitely a part of equanimity. Thank yeah, you. creating the conditions for equanimity to arise. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, part of equanimity, um, I, one I of, go. Oh, go ahead, Morgan. Hi, Morgan. Hi, it's nice to see you. Um, uh, yeah, following on that, one of my biggest learnings was my video because I'm pixel lady um was um in school when my oldest was in school and his uh teachers were saying he's not doing this he's not doing that he's not doing that we need you to make him do these things and I went down that path to try to make him do these things for what the teachers wanted and he has a he has a different mind it's of this brilliant but not it's atypical and um I tried that and I realized and it was it just got us nowhere and I realized oh I'm doing this for the teachers and I went wait I am just my role or what I want to do is is kiss him forgive him and welcome him home every day and just letting go of all the noise of what I was supposed to be doing and what he was supposed to be doing. It created this space, this beautiful, I I'm smiling so big when I'm thinking of this, because it was such a big learning of letting go. It was beautiful. Anyway, sorry. Thank you for letting me share that. <laughs> it was very meaningful and touching. 
Thank you, Morgan. Thank you. Absolutely. And that's another, yeah, the letting go process, which equanimity is there. I also heard a lot of joy, right? And, and feeling free to allow him to be who he is. And, and uh, yeah, and noticing that, right? It's so, yeah, I thank you. So we have um, just three Lori, minutes, Lori, so I'll let Chris announce something. Go ahead, Lori. Lori, Lori's had her hand okay. up well. Lori's had her hand up. Oh, for great, Lori. I've kind of been struck okay. that, that people's experiences of equanimity are very recognizable and memorable. They're not kind of flat, blasé, non-emotional, non-events. <laughs> um, where life just pat the worldly winds and life just pass us by, there can be a lot of intensity involved, and yet we can still stay equanimous. Yes, yes, Lori, thank you for that. Right, because there's so many people that have this idea that being equanimous is kind of dull, flat. <laughs> And, and, and yes, the, the experiences can be very rich and um, deeply memorable, and still there can be a balance. So thank you for that comment. Anyone else? Okay, well, I'm going to have Chris make an announcement, but just to say that um, I'll get out a handout as soon, very soon, and I'll include in that some reflection questions for you. So my hope is that um, beyond today's class, that you will be inspired to at least notice when this pair of winds, which I think is quite important, of good reputation, bad reputation, high status, low status, or whatever words, please find whatever words work for you, um, that just noticing when that comes up for you with your families, maybe during the month, you know, even on Zoom, there can be this kind of, you know, how am I being perceived by this group? whatever group you're on with Zoom, whether family, friends, workplace, etc., And um, certainly be compassionate with yourselves as you notice this. And it can be very subtle sometimes to see the subtleties of, of the reactions to what's happening. And then compassion, because all of us human beings work with these winds, right? Not just this pair, but all the pairs. So... All right, Chris. Okay, thank you. Well, thank you all for being with us these four months. And I just wanted to say I happened to notice that um, for if you haven't had enough of this kind of thing, there's this week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday mornings, there's a program called Capping Off 2020, Equanimity of Mind and Heart, being offered by the Sati Center, by Diana Clark, Kim Allen, Ying Chen, and David Laurie, who were all dear friends of ours. And I would gather that it would be both practical and 
sutta oriented, so knowing those people. So it sounds like a wonderful follow-up if you want to learn more about equanimity. It's this week and it's on the IMC website. So great. Thank uh-huh. you. And I can do a dedication of merit if you want, Chris. Yes, please do. <laughs> yes. David this and is... Jennifer for this doing this with me is fun. Yes. So <laughs> In whatever way we have benefited from being together today, uh, the benefit of just connecting, of hearing what's on each other's minds and hearts, and sharing the Dharma. So in whatever way we have benefited from today, from the course overall, May we share these beautiful benefits with all beings, with, and specifically with our families and whoever we come in contact with in the coming days, maybe at the stores or walking along the street. So just spreading and sharing all these merits and benefits. May all beings experience many moments of joy, freedom, ease, and peace. And thank you all for being here today. You can unmute yourselves and wave and say goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, for thank this you very much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.